3: Season four is here. We have landed on episode one. Um, It has been, how long has it been? Like a month, two months since the last one. It is really good to spend some time in your company to provide a little interview uh, and a little insight on some new artists for a brand new season. I hope you've been thriving. I hope your tomato plant that you told me you were growing um, is near picking and that you've been safe and sound the last little while. I'm back outside i'm back in the sun i'm not freaking out as much as i i once was but th- that's not saying much considering <laughs> i'm such a massive freak out um i've been bunkered down i've been making a lot of content in the time between podcasts and taking some time to like Figure out where I want the Slacker podcast to go because it's been going really well. And that's down to all of you guys um, listening to it and to all you guys sharing it with your friends as well. Because I know, like, the main way that this podcast rolls is through word of mouth. So if you have been sharing it, thank you so much. And if you want to, then go right ahead. Normally, um with a season, I will hold all my cards close to my chest and I'll not tell you who's coming up and it'll be a surprise every Tuesday. Do you know what? Let's throw it out the window um, for, for this season. I'll tell you who we got in season four. And it's big, right? Next week on the podcast, we have got Run the Jewels. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. Coming up on season four, we have got Haim, We have got Phoebe Bridgers. We have got Bob Geldof. We have got Johnny Burrell. We have got KSI. We have got Phineas. We have got Leanne Havas, We have got Alan McGee, MJ Cole, Sleaford Mods, Idols. Sean Paul and there is a whole host of other ones that I'm working on this season is going to be a long one I'm going to give you guys so much content week after week after week after week because I know now that I can record these from my house and they can still sound good and I'm going to record video of it as well the slacker podcast is leveling up so hard um this one and it a lot of that is down to the the faith and the love that has been shown um by the slacker patreons like big up to those guys they've shown me that not everyone considers podcasts that they just have to be free that they have to be throwaway content like we've got a small crew um of patrons over at the slacker patreon and they're just a bunch of legends so like you know big up to those guys for supporting the podcast and and giving me the the onus to to keep it going and make it better and make more of the podcasts um so if you want to become a a slacker patreon it's a patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast i do a slacker patreon only podcast only for um uh, people who subscribe and that goes out every single tuesday you get access to live podcasts you get playlists that i make um for everyone on stream and platforms you got live tickets when we're back at that and loads and loads of other bits and pieces at um, the patreon.com forward slash slacker podcast. Also I'm really excited about this because this uh Friday I am doing a pilot of a brand new style of Slacker podcast and, and it's gonna be on the same RSS feed as this. So you'll be able to get this as well. And it's completely different. To the interview style but it is it is all based around music and it's based around i don't want to give too much away on that one no i don't because i'm pretty excited about it it's called slacker friends and i need to pilot it because i just need to see what works and what doesn't work but that's going to come out very very soon so i am making so much content at the minute and doing loads of interviews and i've got some really exciting um podcasts coming up that i haven't recorded yet so yeah big time um let's get on to episode one of season four we have got an og songwriter 10 years deep in the game right now and probably one of the most interesting modern artists in in ireland his name is james vincent mcmorrow i feel with like a lot of irish artists there can be a tendency to maybe look back for a little bit of like retroism um with him he's definitely somebody who wants to push the genre forward um and that genre doesn't even exist i don't know what he's pushing for but he's trying to push music forward uh, in 2020 and he's on his fifth album which is coming out this year he's done a bit of writing for the likes of drake for division um amongst many others and someone who i rotate heavily on my chilla show on radio one for anybody who listens to it and yeah stacked stacked season off the podcast and we're going to just keep going week after week next week run the jewels this week first episode of slacker season four here's james vincent mcmorrow
0: i think a part of my uh my not intentional mystique as a musician has been just down to the fact that I just never really liked being on camera. So I never really put myself out there on social media or in interviews. So I'm trying to fix that a little bit because yeah. I actually quite like it. I like talking to you. It's nice. It's, it's not the Oh, you like won't the by the end
3: of it. Like you'll be like, who the <laughs> yeah, fuck put well, I mean, like, that in for me? <laughs> yeah, who fucking who
0: <laughs> set up this fucking prank? Um, Ooh, well, here we are. yeah,
3: like I'm just yeah. <clears> but here we are, like we're, we're slacker podcast with um, James Vincent McMorrow, and uh, yeah, this is the first one I've done this way, which is like down down the line.
2: Okay. Um,
3: ever? Yeah. First ever. Yeah. Like I mean, I, oh. I've got, I've got no, I've got no choice. Like I can't fly over to Ireland and s- sit beside you and whisper sweet nothings in your ear. Like <laughs> we yeah. might kill well, each can, other,
0: <laughs> <laughs> not intentionally, just yeah, um, yeah. Um, just passively through infections. How have uh, you, yeah. how have you dealt with the the
3: lockdown and and all the rest of that? Like I'm, I've, I've been slowly going out of my brain for the first two weeks, and I feel like I'm starting to get sort of get over the hell a little bit now with it
0: yeah i'm starting to lock into a bit of a rhythm i mean like i would say this my life has been pretty (laughs) self-isolated for the vast majority of my adult life yeah so like so like this is not it's it's not a a jarring change for me i'm not even joking like i mean my day is not wildly different i wake up and i make music and then i just hang out at home and and i'm pretty low-key we're gonna play a demo.
3: I've got low um, in in just a little minute because I I want to know how your your self cut uh sorry your self made haircut went because I've got (laughs) I've got mine and it's getting really really long and I was gonna get a cut just before oblivion um for anybody that's listening to this we are recording this on April Day, the first of April um yeah and I was dying to get a haircut and I'm tempted to go and cut it myself but I just I literally just
0: because my hair's got got quite long and I just literally just like grabbed it and just hacked it (laughs) off so it's not graceful (laughs) but like it gets it done like who cares like honestly (laughs) bigger things to worry about like yeah um yeah, I like I mean it's I mean I would be lying if I said it was the first time I had given myself a haircut. It is not uh I just oh, don't give a shit. This, I'm just, you musicians I, you crazy bunch. Well, I don't live in a world where I need to really care about that. So I don't <laughs> I don't I guess I just like if I'm just like in a bad mood I'll just like cut it all off or something like that or just let it grow when I'm making records I don't I don't cut it I just let it grow it's kind of become a weird like ritual of mine so that's why it's gotten quite you make
3: it sound like you're Travis Bickle and um taxi driver when you get angry you cut your hair like you shave it into a mohawk (laughs) and walk around town looking for a mohawk looking for uh, some man. yeah (laughs) Um, so let's get into playing this demo um now It's a demo um from From which album is this This is, this is on This is Get uh, Low is from the
0: third record Yeah yeah It's from the album We Move So it's Get Low was that, From that record Right here it is Yeah I think we're getting married Everybody said Greatest man in the world i Bought myself around Finally campaign. Why are people's silence, they're afraid Concentrate the violence, it works, it can get you so far You end up feeling worse, it's cold, and you have no fun
3: Right there, you go. That's that's our demo. That was um, James Vincent McMorrow. The track was called um, "Get Low." And what what sort of like iteration of the of the demo was that? Was that like the the last version before before it was finished? Was that the very first? that came to no head. i
0: think that was like maybe halfway through um i usually do like 40 or 50 versions of each song
3: 40 or 50 versions of yeah that song? easily
0: easily like i think that it's just always been part of my process i mean let's not get crazy like they're not it, that's not me saying like 40 or 50 profound versions of a song that's just like 40 or 50 versions that are different iterations oh. or i want to try different things or i want to work with different people that version was the first one that i worked with the um the producer that ultimately helped me finish it, uh, yeah. a um, Canadian guy called 1985. And that was the first one that he... I gave him a bunch of, like, audio, like the the vocals and some of the, the other bits and pieces and the synths, and he put the drums on it. Mm. So I, I, I'd I kind of been struggling with that. But, man, there's so many versions of that song. There's one that <laughs> sounds very, like, steely Dan. That's, like, very, like... Like, you have Toto in the background, I think. There's, it sounds... The drums on it are very, like like Jeff McCullough, it has that kind of drum thing. Yeah. I was trying a lot of different stuff. I think at that point I knew I wanted to add some more like elements that were like more on the hip hop lean, because that's sort of, that's what I've always wanted. But it's, it's the one thing that I, I'm I'm sort of not, I'm not vocabulary wise in the studio. I can, you can do it, but I know that there's people that can do it better and easier because they just work in systems like Ableton or Fruity Loops. That just mean they can get to, this, to the heart of it much quicker More with more finesse than I can. Is not Fruity Loops? Eighty-five was like. Is not Fruity Loops? Quite like a basic like piece of. No man. Is it not? I don't know. I've never used it anymore. Not anymore. No, it's 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 like a proper like I would say seventy percent of the rap you hear at the moment, the the beats will probably come out of of Fruity Loops. Um, For drums, it's great the sequencer in it because like when I was a kid, I had Fruity Loops on on like my computer and and I used to just mess with the little like sixteen step sequencer, Mm. but like all of the rap guys did that i i used it as like as a as like a joke when we were kids we used to just make beats on it just for fun and then we would i would go to logic or i think i had like cubase was the first thing i ever used mm-hmm. um and they would they took it and ran with it and just like turned it into this like multi billion dollar empire of <laughs> beat making because it works so fast you can tr- it's like a computer game and if your brain if you were raised with that idea of like music music is like a computer game almost i think that like fruity loops is very appealing and um, same with ableton i think that's why people like ableton as well because you can use it in a way that's a bit more visual i like i use logic cuz i used to just work in audio yeah yeah so yeah yeah, yeah. so those guys they they work in that world and <laughs> something it spits out sand i i just find compelling so i was just trying to get Trying to get to that world a little bit more, and and eighty-five. Just you know, we talked about doing stuff for ages, and, and I'd played him a couple of songs off the record, and he was a big fan of the second album. So it just kind of made sense to pursue it. Him, um, I knew I needed other people at that album. I wasn't really kind of looking to do it myself. What What is
3: the the, the, the like the vibe with like your man nineteen eighty-five? Because he's like a you know, he's obviously the sort of um, producer de jour for for people like Drake, and and you know, you've worked with him as well. Is it simply just that he was born in 1985? I've wanted to know this for ages. Or did he just like sit there one day and his name's like Norman Gooferson or something and
0: he was just like I need, no, I, need yeah. I need a studio I need a studio name. Well, I mean, rap, you know, like the rap world revolves around like monikers and names, right? Like so like, you know, Drake isn't Drake, you know. Yeah. But, like he He's was born and he was No, exactly. He was born in 1985. That's why he picked it um but his name is paul jeffries you know it's like i'm not sure if paul jeffries walks in his (laughs) studio if that's as like you know it's a it's a it's a solid name but like in the rap world you know
3: yeah like i mean like you know like when you've got the producers that they they've got their like little um audio signature that they have the at the start of a track like steel bangles would be like uh I can't remember what these bangles is, but like you, know, DJ Khaled just has his. Was just DJ Khaled. He's just yelling. Just, but over yeah, the just like the yeah. idea of
0: Paul Jeffries. <laughs> <laughs> Eighty five doesn't have a vocal tag, actually. No, he does. Like I worked on the, on this new album. I worked a bit with a producer called Kenny Beats, mm. and, uh, and Kenny him, has a yeah. very. Yeah, and Kenny has one that's like, whoa, Kenny. And he wouldn't put it on the record, like, because I think he was very respectful to my pro set. Like, yeah. Because he usually does a lot of like very ratchet rap records. And, and the, the thing we did is 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 it's almost like a garage rock kind of record. And I really wanted him to use the vocal tag. And he he just was like, he just like, didn't want to. He wanted to like be respectful to the record. So I kind of slipped it in. By like taking the woe part of it and putting it in the chorus <laughs> underneath my vocals, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like obsessed with the idea of like I've like I grew up listening to rap, so the idea of having yeah, yeah, yeah. like vocal tags on records is very appealing to me. But he he wanted to just make it very like authentic to the work, so I slipped it in. He doesn't even know. <laughs> like, I, I just I literally cut it. I, I, like, off of, like, an audio stream and I had to, like, put it in myself because I just thought it was a funny thing to do. You got like a little do Easter it. egg or something for people. Yeah.
3: But did you, like, so you, you're really? Did you see, like, your new album's a Garage Rock album?
0: No, no, no. They, no, there's one record. Oh, I mean, uh, this album is wild, man. Yeah? No, I mean, like, you know, my, my musical history is, is pretty wild. Like, I just... <sighs> I've never thought about stuff in a very linear fashion. So like, you know, that's the reason why I would work with someone like 85. When I made that record, like I'm not trying to big myself up here or any bullshit, but like, you know, when I made that record, I think there was a lot of pushback from certain people within my camp about the idea of like working with, like trying to extrapolate the singer songwriter thing and frame it around like mm, like more overtly hip-hop sounds and sort of ratchet like the 808s on on the finished version of get low are pretty massive Mm. so like trying to put all that stuff together was not something that a lot of people had done before very successfully and i'm not saying i'm not like putting my hand up and saying like i'm the guy who pioneered that shit but like at the same time it wasn't a well-trodden track so um but but, but that's but that's yeah. what, that's where the, just, the
3: most interesting music comes from is like when it's it, it, it just looks like it shouldn't work on paper but it does do you know what i mean yeah
0: yeah but well, you have to put in a lot of work to make it work i think like that's that's a do stu- the stupidest thing i've ever said you have to put in a lot of work to make it work <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> i what i mean is that like all of all of what i was saying about doing like 30 or 40 versions of songs all of that preamble was required so that when I eventually went to 85 with what I had I knew that he could add to it in a way that would be sympathetic to it and not overpower it and vice versa so like I think that that's what I mean about putting in that work ahead of time did you try it like it did you try it out with other hip-hop producers like did you try like was he the first one that you went to or like did you did you sort of struggle to find the right person? No, I, with, the, with that song, I went to him. I essentially like opened up my my folders of, of of things that I thought were in the running for the album to two or three people. So like I had three producers that I liked. Um, my friend, Deb, Two Inch Punch from the UK. Um, I got called Frank Dukes from Toronto as well. And mm-hmm. then 85. And so like I essentially went to them and said, this is what I have. And you're the three people that I think would work across all of this. So essentially, put your hand up if you want to do any of it. (laughs) And yeah, like that. You know, I mean, you're you're taking a certain risk, but I I, I was pretty confident that that they were the right people, and and I have a huge amount of respect for them. So it was insulated to a degree because I'm not I'm not a guy that like just throws stuff at the wall. Like I've done this pretty successfully by myself up to that point, and I knew if I was going to include people in it. I was gonna do the research and make sure that these were people that I had had a relationship with and knew well, and that would add to something that would actually benefit it, rather than just going, "Well, this is the hot producer of the day, so like you got to get in and do stuff." Yeah, people pitch that yeah. shit all the time, but like, I'm 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 never one for that. Like, I'm, I'll I'll do the thing that that is best, not the thing that is hypest. You know.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think that's that, that's the, the the best way to approach things. But like, surely you must have had a lot of that as well, considering that you write songs for other people and have like done some production for for other people. Yeah, um, yeah. You've you've had your door beaten down by other artists to work with. Like, what's it like on the other side of it when it comes to writing with somebody else? Like, do you have to be picky with who you do it with, or can or like do you? you get the opportunity to be able to go listen I'm not the right person to work with here on this
0: uh I mean I'll, I'll always open it up and see um and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't I'll take a lot of stuff at face value like I, I'm not like um I get a lot, I get pitched a lot of like like cold stuff as in like there's no conversation beforehand people are just like we have this record and we we think it needs something I'm not really into that I like the idea of I'm not the guy that's like like we need to sit in a room and and like drink wine and talk about music for five hours. I think you can get (laughs) some people, some people already thrive on that, you know, like the Rick group, like Rick Rubin is, is, is obviously the nth degree of producer. And and he, he's that guy. He'll like sit in a room with people and I'm not comparing. But is there like, like
3: I think about this, right. I think about people like him and Jimmy Iovine, right. And part of me thinks with producers like that, how much of it is genuine talent? How much of it is their Actual mistake that has built up over the years, which is the artist actually believes. Yeah. And how much of it is just them absolutely bluffing it? Because like I, I kind of <laughs> I, do, you, do you know what I mean? Like, like, like because yeah, like I, know, I mean Vic Rubin's yeah. essentially a musical life coach rather than like a producer or anything.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I I think that it's a little from columns a b and c in all of the great producers i think you have to have a certain amount of musical knowledge not not even musical knowledge i don't want to say i think there's people that are are brilliant and actually don't play anything like uh, jimmy iveen is, is a perfect example i mean i don't know jimmy iveen to be a player i know him to be an or like an orchestrator someone that can get in a room and demand something from people um, in almost like an iron wills type of way. And I think that there's benefit to that. I think it's like, but he came up obviously, you know, 70s. and, And like, so he was in there like with... Tom Petty and like, you know, there's, there's, there's those stories of him just like hammering the drummer into the ground just to try and get like, you know, those drum takes. And, and nowadays that's not even a conversation that would be required, but all of those guys did grow up in that, like Rick Rubin making records in the eighties on eight tracks and stuff like that. So these guys know how to get it done. But yeah, they they those they all move into that sort of like guru Swangali type vibe because because that is that there is a benefit to it. I have lots of friends that have made records with Rick Rubin and you know what? Some people will talk about it as the thing that saved their career, and some people will talk about it as the most pointless thing they've ever done. And that's no disrespect to Rick Rubin. It's the nature of the music business, is like you have to know what you're looking to get out of this process like mm-hmm. i you know if I'm, I'm not the guy for like a rick rubin process because i just know that like i would be pulling at the thread of it because i, I like i work with paul epworth on this album the yeah. one that i just finished and and like paul is the perfect person for me because he comes with that pedigree i grew up obsessed with his work um and and he can get it done he, you know, in the same way that he has like that sort of like manic energy that I have in a studio where it's like childish, where he'll just jump on a on a drum kit or he'll jump on like a synthesizer and he'll just play instinctually. And feed, I feed off of that. Whereas those people that are very calm and put you in a Zen space, it's a different thing. You know, I mean, people like 85, they're more functional. And I don't mean that in a negative way, because I think he's he's a brilliant musical, musical mind. But um, with Get Low, there was a functionality required. I was like, I have this thing. I know what it could be. And I need someone to, to paint the picture. And and within 15 minutes, I would say, in the studio in Toronto, he had like flipped my drums into something. Like what you hear there was en- in the demo was enough for me to be able to get on a plane and go, okay, I'm going to come to you and we're going to spend a week in a room. <laughs> yeah, wow. And he, yeah, and he flipped that and he flipped like, like there was a song called Rising Water that I, that's on the album that was like the first single. And, and it was like very, um the version that I was, had come out of my studio with was... I mean, it was almost like a Bruce Springsteen record. It was very like, let's get in our car and drive. And his vibe, 85's vibe was, because um, it's coming from that OVO Drake camp, which is very minimal. And they were like, remove everything that you don't need. It was, again, it's kind of like this life lesson type thing. If you want to extrapolate these lessons from from, from these guys, you can, because mm-hmm. it speaks to a wider thing. Um, I was adding stuff. My vibe was additive constantly adding stuff to almost impress myself in the studio look at that chord i just figured out look at these sounds that i layered up and he would just come in and be like none of that's required because like it's this this and this they're the functional parts of this and the song is the thing that people care about so if you're not serving that goal then you're wasting your time and i, I my get time. that i that's, think
3: that's a really yeah. important lesson like uh, i i mean i sort of struggle with that a little bit too it's it, yeah. it's something like it's kind of like when you find something that you, when you finally find something in your life that you want to be like that you absolutely love you want to be as good at it as you possibly can be and sometimes yeah. by, by doing that is you accidentally maybe end up trying to show off to yourself more than than anybody else and totally. you, end yeah. up, you end up concentrating on not the thing that's important but the thing that you think
0: is the most impressive which Abs- isn't yeah. the I right mean, way of doing it yeah, what you're saying is is completely, I think it speaks to, like, a lot of the human condition is, like, we're sort of built, I know I'm built to try and, like, impress, like, the 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 person i've never met before you know what i mean like a massive show off (laughs) yeah no but we all are like you know what i mean life is pretty curated and you know like like everything we do is very forward-facing like it's very like built for like a filter and an idea and and it's a very like specific narrow idea of you as a person and and you fill that void you've to everything you do is (laughs) like filter into this very narrow thing the idea of like blowing it very wide and being more chaotic is not something that everybody wants to do because it's it's hard to do, you know what I mean? It's yeah. hard to just go chaos is is the vibe. I'm just going to go with that. So, like, everything tends to just get filtered into this very narrow thing. And that can be really good it can, if, if you approach it the right way, you know. I needed that at that time in my life because I, I think I had gotten very caught up in, like, trying to impress myself and then trying to impress the readers of Pitchfork or whatever, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> like, very that. <laughs> that energy like, like i need a 79 i need an 84 Yeah, like bro i mean i that's like that, that there was a, a moment in my life where like my world revolved around that a little bit where you're like will people you start course correcting in the studio based on like how you think this person that you've never met might perceive the thing and that's like a really fucking it's a lonely road to know well,
3: i guess like quite, the question is that album that you did, where you stopped caring about stuff like that, what what score did you get in Pitchfork, <laughs> and was it better? I mean, I mean it, and was it better it was than the
0: one <laughs> It was better. I mean, like I I don't know the scores because I've actually never looked at the reviews, on, and I mean I oh, I, I don't know, good. but I re- I remember with um, my second album Post Tropical, I I literally broke myself in half to make that album, and I, I mean I'm I'm incredibly proud of it, um, but I know that there were things that I did that I didn't need to do I, I, like I was doing stuff going above and beyond. Cause I thought this is the thing that's required of me. And it wasn't. And I, and I know that, I know that like what I've done since then, you know what I mean? When I went into the the third album with a bit more of a sense of like, I'm going to do this. And I wouldn't even say that I, I achieved it on the third record. I didn't, I didn't make this chaotic thing that mm-hmm. this thing that I wanted to make, there was still an amount of curation to it. But I remember after post-tropical came out, the review, so I didn't read it, but the review and pitchfork was was like relatively underwhelming, I think. And then I remember meeting the guy that wrote the review when he had moved to another company, and he interviewed <laughs> me. You now, and he this is what yeah. this was what really spoke to me was like he he essentially was just like I that was like my favorite album, but I just internally there just was a conversation about where it was supposed to be placed within our structure and 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 that was really telling to me because wow you're like, that's okay, so.
3: that's bullshit like because like i'm like i used to like i was a music journalist before i was on the radio The mm. idea of like towing a party line uh, on what, yeah. whether an album is good or not just makes me sick like
0: yeah i i think that there was just a. Uh, i when i heard that was almost like relieved because you're like okay cool like and and i, I don't know if he was just lying to me maybe he just didn't like the record maybe he's like people are full of shit you know whatever yeah. but it, it fundamentally it was interesting to me just to hear those things because so much of your life is built around how you want people to perceive the thing that you do and i mm. think once i kind of liberated a certain amount of myself from that that idea that like oh shit i have to i have to work within this paradigm that the world has created for me like i i came out of the first album and i was like the singer songwriter guy with the beard and i was like i have a beard and and i and i do enjoy solitude but i, I was felt more complex than that and then you, the second album do you think third,
3: that the you know, if you had have had the if you didn't have the beard they would have put you in with like your james morrisons but because you got the beard they put you and <laughs> they put you in Bonnie Bonnie Ver.
0: I mean, I think that there is like a binary conversation, I guess, that happens for sure. I yeah. mean, I'm I mean, no disrespect to James and I don't necessarily think songs <laughs> musically work. We're in the same. No,
3: no, I know that, but I'm just like no, 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 no. But I'm saying, I know what you're like, saying. No,
0: people, but I know. I get no. I get what you're saying. No, like, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not looking to diss anybody, and I'm not looking to like like claim to any fucking mm-hmm. grand. I'm just yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I think that like I wasn't on a major label either. No one wanted to sign me. You know what I mean? Like I I put out my first album, and no one gave a shit for a year, and then the second year. It, 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 a lot of people cared, and that was great. But it, had was you given no, up
3: on it by that stage?
0: If if, if, no, if, if no, no, if
3: if nobody had cared for, for it for a year, had you thought right time to move on to album
0: two? No, I know, like I knew it was good. I mean, I'm not. I'm a. I'm a very like. Um, there's a lot of warring principles within me as a person, <laughs> and one of them is that like I am very anxious as as a human being but I'm also probably one of the more self-possessed people on the planet in the sense that like I never doubted the thing that I was doing yeah I never I I didn't doubt the record when when people didn't want to sign it I knew enough to know that like my like me as a person I think that you're when you're buying something as a record label you're buying like a package and I think that I would go in rooms and I would just sweat my way through a meeting because I just didn't like making eye contact with people and Mm. I didn't I didn't talk about the music the right way. I didn't know how to act. I didn't know how to play shows because I was so, I was, I really struggled in the first year. And and, and I think had someone put a hand on my shoulder and said, listen, we see, we see what's here, but, we also see that there's things that need to be worked on. So How, that would have been. Had you completed. not
3: played shows that much up until the point of the debut album coming out?
0: No, not really. really. Like, it, a, like you no. didn't like
3: playing any bands when you were like a teenager or anything. No, like? again,
0: again, I was very nervous. I never sang out loud until I was probably like 22 or 23. I just uh, like I was very like shy. Is definitely. I wasn't a shy person. Like I yeah. would go out and I'd be quite sociable, but when it came to music, like no one heard anything. Like I stage fright. I, I, I don't even know if, it, like, st- yeah, I think just general um, sort of, like, life terror. Life <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just the yeah. idea of people judging, judging me. I think that that's, mm. that's something I've always struggled with. And that speaks to this, the nature of those, like, you know, getting reviewed and getting people talking about, oh, you, you're a white guy with a high voice, therefore you're like this and you're in this bracket. And people judge you. And that's just the instinct. And, and, and I knew that from the outset. And it was not something... I was very good with so I think that that I always wanted to impress people I would go in rooms and probably try too hard and so that was why no one no one cared because I don't think that I built a world that they should care about like I'm not knocking every all those people for not seeing it because I probably wasn't you know I'm not the I wasn't the person I am now so I yeah. went in there with like a, a lot of musical ideas but very little ability to articulate it to a person in a room that needed to buy the idea.
2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
3: what was the what was the change then like 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 what made you more confident was it the, the simple process of of doing it like I, I mean like i've like you know i had suffered from anxiety and panic attacks and stuff my whole life and the idea yeah. everybody thinks it's mental that I feel more at home doing radio than I do standing in the queue at the post office. But like the, yeah. the, the process of doing, doing it and, and repeatedly doing it means that you kind of lose the fear of it. Was it, was it just a constant thing of just having to hammer out doing the shows and getting
0: better yeah. at it? Yeah, pretty much. I think that like, it's funny that you say that, use that analogy of the post office. Cause I actually think I've used that analogy before myself. <laughs> it must be a just, common one. Like, yeah no but no but I I I do think that like I see a lot of commonalities and a lot of resonance in what you just said that like I I'm very lucky in the sense that like I put my first album out in 2010 which was like sort of the inception point of social media being such a huge part of the music business. Mm-hmm. But what it didn't bring with it at the time was a lot of video footage and that was great because my first shows were just they just weren't good. I mean I like like i say all of those label dudes that were like we really like this music can we come to a show they would leave halfway through because i would just fumble my way through i just i just wasn't like it took a while like i had a ratio for a long time where i would keep score i would be like that was a bad show and then i'd play another one like that was a bad show and then i'd play a good show (laughs) and i'd write it down yeah and i honestly i had a ratio of like if i can get this to 50 50 i'll be happy where like I, i didn't mess up or I didn't stop halfway through a song or I didn't like just start crying for no reason. Like yeah. I just, I, it's a complicated thing. Like I was born with this obsession with music and, and it never. And when I was a kid, it was wild. You know, I just, you would listen to my, my parents, like Chicago records and ELO records and random stuff. And it was completely non-specific. I just knew that I needed to listen to it all the time. And that then filtered into this, thing where i just needed to make music but it was chaos you know it, it took a long time for me to to filter it into something tangible and meaningful and, and, yeah. and i'm grateful for that it was hard at the time because obviously like i say i knew that first record was good but it took that first year of me playing bad shows and sort of like you know we got to the end of it and i remember myself and my manager can i we were in new york and i just licensed it to vagrant and i was like well, how many records did we sell and he was like you know like two thousand and i was like you know it was the disappointing thing to hear because i had really you know high hopes for it but i was like okay it's a new year let's go again and, and I, there was no sense of me giving up on it and then the next year we sold like 150 thousand copies wow. of it. so i mean but that's you know I'm, I'm not a clairvoyant i can't see the future but like you know if you build something i, I felt like I, I i feel like i built things well i feel mm-hmm. like that's something like in the same way that you're talking about rick rubin and these dudes and like what are the gifts that you have like I can, I can sing and I can write songs, but I feel like the thing that doesn't get talked about in this is like, you have to build stuff. Well, you know, I, when I built song, like get low, I felt like I built it. Well, I I went into it with a sense of purpose and I'm not just like throwing it at the wall and hoping it'll stick or like specificity of purpose is, is is pretty key in the music business. And and I think it's the reason some people are still, still, you know, this is like, will be the 10th year coming up that I've, putting out music and, and I haven't dropped off and I haven't, you know, the music gets better and, and I, I think it gets better. And um, the new record is, is what I've always wanted to make yeah. in a way that I've never been able to make it before. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's all because of that stuff that happens. You, you said
3: know, in, that, that there was a lot of different um, textures on, on, on this album and like a lot of, diff- oh, yeah. a lot of different sort of uh, like vibes and sounds. And I kind of get mm-hmm. get the vibe talking to you that like you weren't one of these like kids that was just into one style of music. I feel like you probably were like mashing it up. Like, oh yeah, yeah. What were you? What were you listening to? Like, what was like like sort of um, like what are your real formative musical years? Like 14? Like what were, what were you listening to? Were you like a new metal guy? Were you an emo guy? Were you like a?
0: Oh. Yes to all of those things Um, (laughs) (laughs) Same Like I think My formative musical years Were probably between The ages of like 15 and 18 In terms of like Forming like a musical vocabulary And I think that A lot of it was to do With the fact that I made Fran Like up to that point Like I had a really bad Eating disorder when I was a kid And it kind of debilitated a lot of my life from the ages of like maybe 13 to 16, mm-hmm. but then when I kind of came out the other side of it, and I started forming like the friendships that I still have to this day. That was where music, my, like my love of music, really kind of bore fruit, and and it was it was definitely like new metal. This was like the you know the end of the 90s, start of 2000s. So like you know there was like an obs- like obscene amount of of really of music that has not dated well, you know <laughs> I mean? like like Papa like Roads, Papa Roach, a lot of. Motiva- Papa Roach, a lot of- Mudvayne records, like some of them, some of it still holds up. You know, I mean, I still listen to a Slipknot record from time to time. I I still listen to Slipknot. I think
3: Slipknot is definitely, um, well, they they've lasted. They they've lasted the longest. Like, I mean, the stuff like Puddle of Mud and like Pod Alive and. Some yeah. of the singer songwriter sort of new metal stuff, which really wasn't new metal, but it was just on Kerrang around the same time, like stained. Yeah. Oh my god,
0: yeah. <laughs> tough, <laughs> tough. You know what? There is there's some of it that's like unequipped, like is. Class, I mean, stay, it's, it's what it is. I like,
3: I, I, outside. I, I'm looking in, I can
0: <laughs> see through you, see your true colors. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful rendition. And I hope you leave that in the podcast. Um, <laughs> I like, you know what I mean? There's a time and a place for all of this stuff. And it's like I would put my hands up and say I own probably two stained records. I definitely <laughs> own that disturb record, the sickness. Like I definitely I definitely was a big fan of Youth of the Nation by POD. Like yeah. I'm a huge I was a huge incubus guy. Like, you know, Morning View was like oh, my baselines on, base on that. Baselines on that were amazing. Yeah, but like, there's like, of all those bands, the, there's one like the one that I think informed me the most, and the one that I still like absolutely adore is Deftones. I think like like White Pony for me mm. is still probably the great one of the greatest albums like I've ever heard in my life, and I think that there, that's what's interesting and what I took away from that stuff is like there's a difference between like a band that were like a, a drop in the ocean. And there's a and a band that are genuinely like seminal and and transcendent. There's a reason Deftones are still huge today. Mm. And they haven't dropped off a single bit in terms of their audiences because it's just brilliant music. And it was recorded really well. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Terry Date who recorded those. But like, it, you know, there was just certain music that just they were just brilliant and like changing the house of flies is, is a classic song. And, and, and so stuff like that, but I would listen to that. And then I would flip into like, that was the first year that, I mean, justified by Justin Timberlake came out at the same time. And I was obsessed with that <laughs> album like because, because I'm a yeah. huge Neptunes guy. Like, and so like, I, I, like I, I never looked at it from like a, like a, a fussy perspective. I didn't grow up in that sort of like, like the fussier side of the street. Like I like bands like the Pixies, but it was before my time. And and like, so when I came up, the music that was like very earnest was a lot of it was bad. You know what I mean? A lot of it was like for every like Linkin Park that I actually do think were a really great band. It yeah, yeah. was like a really bad iteration of Linkin Park, you know? Um, and that's, so, but we all accepted it as incredible. <laughs> Evan, like we you accepted that as we all did as a very earnest very like like earnestly delivered important music and then on the countback you listen to it and you're like you know Jesus. what was I thinking but <laughs> but at the time Nine. you accept it with that's the beauty of like of being a teenager is like you accept everything with this like vivid earnestness that doesn't question anything so like I you know I, like I, enema by Tool um like uh, Deftones White Pony like Pantera you know what I mean like vulgar display of power but then like Justin Timberlake and then any or D and then like, you know, I would listen to a lot of like, really like, the, like the darker side of the hip hop world, you know what I mean? Like, so like there was like, it, it's, it, it all just existed for me. And I didn't listen to it with any sense of like sarcasm or irony or like, you know, I didn't put a thinking cap on when I listened to it. If it moved me, it moved me. And, and I think that that's, that's that, that's the musical vocabulary that i've always had you know i didn't i
3: was, i didn't think about this until quite recently actually until really yesterday i was i, I don't know why i was thinking about it but cuz i was just thinking about like how you know like grime culture and uk rap has really like taken off in the last since 2014 since Skepta that's not me came out really that was the yeah. The, the UK's catalyst for, for its own rap scene, I think. like, I mean, it's obviously been going for years and years and years beforehand, but that was the mainstream like flick that just um, put the switch on. Yeah. And, I, and I was thinking back to like when I was 13, 14, and we were like dressing in baggy jeans, wallet chains, FUBU, uh, fubu jeans, Wu-Tang hoodies, uh, red yeah. backwards hats. And I was like, yeah, we, we kind of dressed like we were like LA Crips. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but from Oma in County Tyrone for like yeah. for like two years.
0: Yeah, you were like the yeah Oma Crips. <laughs> That's so funny. A packet of Crips. Hey. Yeah, um, like. Yeah. It's, it's not, you didn't do it with any sense of like, you know, it was just the thing that you did. You don't question it. Right. Like, and I, and I think that's something incredibly beautiful about that. And when you get older and you start to like realize that, I, like I never knew pitchfork existed when I was a kid. I don't want to keep harping on about pitchfork, yeah. like whatever lived it. Like, but like my point was, I didn't know that existed. I didn't know reviews existed. You know, like I didn't go to like, I used to read like Kerrang and I used to read NME, but if, if someone gave like, you know, a record two out of five I wouldn't be like well you know fuck I'm staying away from that no I would go and listen to it because like the new that was it like the new Incubus record was coming out or like and then it was the same with like 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 hip-hop records like I own so many hip-hop records that are not good albums but I bought because they would have three Neptunes beats on them or two Timbaland beats or like like um like that 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 was that was the resonator for me I didn't care about how it was perceived or what it meant and when I got older and started making music and people started judging it and applying judgment to the work that I made, it had this very weird internalizing effect on me for a few years, Where then I started to like bring that back into the music mm-hmm. where I was like, okay, cool. Well, these these people like what I do. So I need to like play to that audience, whether I had that conversation consciously or not, it happened in my mind somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when in the music making and, and the greatest, I loved the fact that I've lost that over the last few years, because <laughs> it's exhausting. It's exhausting trying to like make music for this, like this, Hypothetical thing,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just you just make it for like, the music that you make for yourself is the one that ends up doing the best. Unless you like decide that you want to like make like some sort of post Edwardian like like tin whistle record or something. <laughs> that, Sting has yeah. made
0: several of those albums. Yeah, like St- Sting.
3: St- I I I watched um, one, the, you know, the Hollywood Reporter. They've got like a YouTube channel and they have a thing called the Round Table. And they have, yeah. like, the all the actors all sitting chatting about their process and stuff. And half of it yeah. really interests me and inspires me. And half of me just makes me want to puke into my own mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, uh, Sting, yeah, talking about making loot records. and like, Loot. You know, yeah, the that's loot, that's what his thing bro. is. Like, there's Sting <laughs> who likes the loot and Martin Prince from The Simpsons who enjoys playing the loot. And that's about it. <laughs> in the 16th century, maybe.
0: Um, yeah. Is I love that about I love that with Sting. I mean, he's afforded himself the right to it, yeah. He's a genius. You know, he he's into lutes and writing musicals about the Newcastle docks, and that's his vibe. <laughs> more power to him, man.
3: Do you do you have like ideas for like have you ever like, gone like got these sort of like maybe slightly more left of oh that's my watch, sorry. Who still has a watch that goes off? I know, I was that's gonna so say, are you wearing bit bit a fucking Casio? <laughs> Cassio yeah. bro. Um, Do do you have like one of those like odd ideas that you've got in the back of your mind that is so left from what you normally do that, but you still want to scratch an itch or like, do you know, like, do you have that musical idea? Do you have that concept album idea? Like, have you been talked out of it?
0: (laughs) No, I think I'm too, I'm too much of a, like like an asshole to like buy into (laughs) my own bullshit. Like, like I'm very, I'm very cynical. I feel like I'm the right side of the cynical line, but like, I definitely am too cynical to like think that like if those ideas do appeal to me that they're anything more than like the the ravings of like a out of touch like dickhead like (laughs) it's just like and again i want to be very specific i'm not talking about staying there i think that you you earn the right to do the things that you want to do in life in general if you work hard and do that stuff and that's great and and some people just have that in them like i like i you know like, I've never thought about rapping, but I love rap music because I know my lane. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah, exactly. I, but but I have friends. There's I have friends that are successful musicians and they're like, cool, now's the time for me to bust out my rap record. And then they play for me. And I'm like, please, please, please do not put this in the world. <laughs> okay? I should get medals for the amount of bad rap music I've stopped from emerging into the world from like rich, like <laughs> singer songwriters, because like, it's just not needed. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, and now because like hip hop more than any is is anything is like so democratized, you know, like you can manifest your own destiny in it. So a lot of people are like, cool, man, like I'm an emo artist. And like, everybody's listening to like yellow cards, like, you know what I mean? Like people are listening to like emo records and making like, you know, juice world songs and stuff like that. So like, I can do that. And you're like, please, please, please don't, don't do that. No one wants to hear it. It works
3: the other way around, right. Where like um, like a a rap producer or a rap artist can go and sample pretty much anything because sample culture is part of hip hop and has been since sure. the very beginning like you can g- get go and sample like Michael McDonald you can go go and sample like some weird old disco record or you can go and sample like some flipping rock band and that's to- yeah. totally fine but you can't buy into you, you can't go from rock into well you can go from rock into hip hop which is new metal which we were talking about But <laughs> I mean, but I yeah. mean <laughs> with the varying degrees of critical success but like yeah going from like a, a singer songwriter into rap that very rarely works I mean it, it worked for Ed Sheeran but I wouldn't even do I call that rap I suppose it is technically no.
0: but like, I mean it is technically but it's, it's like it's, it's pop different. music I, yeah yeah and there is like you know there is there's is that sort of rap sing thing that a lot of those guys do successfully um, I, I, I don't think of it as rapping because, but then I don't know what, you know, what is rapping in 2020. It's, it's a very it's like broad spectrum and, and no judgments. Everyone is free to do what they want. I just, I just like me personally, I just know the things that, that I can do well. And, and I know the things that I could probably get away with, but that doesn't, and I could probably be successful with, I think that's a thing too, is like, I'm not the guy for like the, the ruthless conversation about like, I can capitalize on this because this is like the, the buzzy sound right now, or I can make like an urban record, you mm-hmm. know, like get low is an urban record. Like we struggle, like we struggle with radio and stuff in the preamble because like the label, when I submitted that, that song, like, and that album, they gravitated towards songs like rising water. Cause they were like, that's a song that we know we can get make hay with at radio because it makes sense for you. And I always felt like "Get Low" was the was like the outlier on that album because it just did something that I just knew was interesting mm-hmm. and and was good. And I articulated it well. I didn't fuck around with the sounds. I used the right people, and I spent the time. But they weren't biting on it. And then when we put it out, just as like we did it as like you know we're gonna give it to Spotify and they'll put it on New Music Friday. And that was that that was it. It was just supposed to be a track between singles and it and it it bounced like as soon as we put it out it just started to go very fast and then they were kind of scrambling you know because they were they hadn't planned on it because they were not thinking about it in that way because they were in that box of like this is the thing that you're known for and this is the thing so if you do the thing well it can work Mm -hmm. like you know I, I I knew I was I was in in my lane when, when you
3: said earlier on that when you had a good show and a bad show, you would do it as a ratio and you wanted to get to 50 50. I think yeah. most record labels would be very happy of having a ratio of having hit records 50 50 because yeah. I reckon it's more like 80 20 in the other direction. Yeah. Like I know from doing like, you know, uh, running my own label for like the last like five years, and I'm, saying, I'm not saying I'm like, i'm a columbia records or i'm a island records or whatever like i'm I'm a very small diy label but the ones we definitely get it right less than half the time like on the singles oh, that, we, yeah. the, that we think are the right ones to go out and it's yeah. it's often the ones that you're like going oh i will we'll, we'll put this out as like the third one that just goes blammo and you're like going i know absolutely nothing and i think you kind of yeah. almost like need to admit that to yourself like
0: yeah I agree I do think that there's like sometimes sometimes you know like I just that that's the thing I would say is like sometimes I I, like I've learned to trust my instincts in music over the years um because I've thought a thing and I've done it and it's worked and whether it's taken some time to figure it out it has worked so like I know sometimes when I'm making something I know that like this is a this is the center of whatever the bullseye is that you want it to be, it's there. And then there's some songs that you just cannot predict and things that happen. And, and because there's 57 million ways to sell a record nowadays, it's hard to know, you know you know what I mean? Like you look at people talk about like that little Nas X song and go, oh, well, you know, if it wasn't for TikTok and it wasn't for like him on Twitter, it wouldn't have blown up. And you're like, you're talking shit. Like that song is brilliant. Like it's just a fucking great song. And, and yeah. you, that's the thing. Like don't let the conversation confuse you because yes he, he was very active on social media and he did get the song moving on tiktok but like that song i think if you put that song in the desert it would have found its way to where it wanted to be because mm. it's just that good and there's other examples of that there's like there's a, a song um, by this artist called joji that I, and, and it oh, I love blew joji, up on tiktok yeah. too yeah and like that song was, was absolutely huge i i like but and people are like, "Well, wow, like this, you know, this is an example of this how this happens." And you're like, "That those songs are just brilliant." Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you just know, and sometimes you can't predict. Yeah,
3: there's, a, there's this artist who's on, um, I think he's on the same label as you, and he only like he only started out. I think this might be his debut single or his second single. Came out last year or the year before, and i, I it's stuck in my head all the fucking time. It's a Dominic Fike track. Three days. Three oh, days I love Dominic hotel. Fike. That song took yeah. like three
0: years to be a huge song. Yeah.
3: But like it, yeah. f- it found its way, and like you know, like the artist wasn't huge at the start when that when that came out. But that song yeah. stuck in my head all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and that's you know what that's it's again funny. I feel like we're on the same page with a lot of this thinking because mm-hmm. Dominic Fike is someone that I talk about. If ever I'm doing stuff with artists, um, which I, I haven't been doing a lot of lately because mm-hmm. I've been making my own record, but like if anyone wants to talk about stuff, I always use Dominic Fike as an example because like that three nights record came out, like it was a big song in Australia when I was there like a few years ago. Mm. And I remember hearing it and thinking this this song is just like, like I don't want to do anything other than listen to it again. And (laughs) when, you know what I mean? And when those songs come along, it was the same with like the, the Portugal, the man record, like my old manager manages Portugal, the man. And when, when I heard feel it still first, um, like I rang him and was just like, you, this is going to be the biggest song on the planet and he was like you know we feel good you know like you know it's obviously tracking and blah 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 at radio and he was doing all the managerial stuff but he's yeah, like, yeah. you know so many different things need to happen and you're like you're absolutely right but also like no this song is just it has everything that you could ever want in a song and i think that the, the paradigm is so weird these days but the fundamentals are still the same like if you sit and try and like really fucking Focus in it's on something. An, an that's annoyingly
3: the, catchy. If it's annoyingly catchy, it'll do all
0: right. <laughs> annoyingly the, catchy is not the worst place to be, man. No, like, you definitely know, it's, it's, not. It's uh, yeah. It's an it's an interesting time to be
3: making music. I've got uh, a question about you, like, because you've you've been all around the sort of the the planet making music in different various places. But where where have you saddled now? Where Where do you live? Do you live in L. A.? Do you live in live Canada? In, do you live in Ireland? I live in Dublin. You live yeah. in Dublin. What's I'm, What's it like living in? dublin and i mean not right now not right now in in 2020 (laughs) but like just generally because it's like dublin's dublin's in a weird place i think like it's like the the the, the, there's there's money back in the country but it's not going to the right people it seems like dublin is a very strange place at the moment
0: i mean everywhere is (laughs) listen like you know you everyone that has a very like i'm sure you have a up and down interaction with your hometown. Oh yeah, massively, yeah. Like I go through phases of like not, like when I first broke as an artist, like I I, I was here and I was very happy for it because like you're really like lapping up that sort of like Dublin is a big city, but it's a small town. So like everyone knows you and everyone was kind of part of it. And that was lovely. And then for a few years, I didn't want to be here. I wanted to be somewhere anonymous. So like I moved to LA and I really loved that. And I, I looked at houses to buy and then, just when it came time, we just didn't pull the trigger on it. We just were like, "No, let's just go back to Dublin." And then we came back here, and then I bought the house here, and I and I love I love being like I live literally like you throw a dart and you hit the center of Dublin, and I live there, and I love that because when you're travel as much as we do and and kind of are very um, disconnected from a lot of stuff, it's important to be part of your hometown. So like, yeah, it, yeah, totally. It, it, it is there is that thing where like I I agree with you. I think that like Dublin is has become I'm. A, I, I'm a little bit sad that we didn't learn more lessons from like the 10, 12 years ago when the world fell apart, that like Irish people, the greatest thing about us is our capacity to just kind of like, and I don't mean this in a dismissive way. We have a capacity to suck it up and make it work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when, when the world fell apart and other countries were like, you know, like protesting and, and, and as you should, because it was, it was the fault of these other people, Mm -hmm. Irish people were just like, okay, cool. We're just going to like, do the thing that's required and we'll get it back on track and we did and it and it worked out and that's amazing james
3: thank you so much for your for your time um thanks for coming right. on the Sacred podcast thanks for bringing um your demo uh and uh yeah good good luck with the the rest of uh self-isolation and um thank you may it may, may not be too too difficult i don't think it will be though you said you, as you said yourself you're fairly used to it by now
0: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah like, like a lot of naps <laughs>
3: yeah. uh, okay thanks very much man and i will see you later come on
0: deadly all right